You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. This episode is brought to you by Palo Alto Networks, the leader in cybersecurity. As AI-driven attacks increase, organizations can't afford to have network security that's stuck in the past. Discover how Palo Alto Networks can help you predict what's coming and proactively secure against it with a zero-trust, AI-powered network security platform built to secure whatever, whenever, wherever. To learn more, visit paloaltonetworks.com slash network security platform. When it comes to ensuring your company has top-notch security practices, things can get complicated and time-consuming fast. Now you can assess risk, secure the trust of your customers, and automate compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, HIPAA, and more with a single platform, Vanta. Vanta's leading trust management platform helps you continuously monitor compliance alongside reporting and tracking risk. Plus, save time by completing security questionnaires with Vanta AI. Learn why thousands of global companies use Vanta to automate evidence collection, unify risk management, and streamline security reviews. Watch Vanta's on-demand demo at vanta.com cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot cyber. Attacks against unpatched versions of Visual Studio and Win32K continue. Progress Software patches two MoveIt vulnerabilities. The Cyber Anarchy Squad claims to have taken down a Russian telecommunication provider's infrastructure. Romcom resumes its activity in the Russian interest. Deep in Desai from Zscaler describes Nevada ransomware. Our guest is Clark Rogers from Amazon Web Services with insights on what CISOs say to each other when no one else is listening. And the Mount Gox hacking indictment has been unsealed. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire Intel Briefing for Monday, June 12th, 2023. Threat actors continue to exploit a vulnerability in Microsoft's Visual Studio installer, the Register reports. According to researchers at Veronis, the flaw can allow an attacker to spoof an extension signature and effectively impersonate any publisher. Microsoft patched this vulnerability on April 11th. And according to researchers at Newman, other attackers are also exploiting a privilege escalation vulnerability affecting Win32K, Newman says that the vulnerability poses a major risk to systems older than Windows 11. Microsoft issued a patch for this flaw in May, and we note in full disclosure Microsoft is a CyberWire partner. In the continuing story of threats to move it and the steps being taken to thwart them, 
MoveIt Vendor Progress Software released an update to its file transfer software that patched the previously exposed and exploited CVE 2023-34632. Progress also disclosed and fixed a new, yet-to-be-exploited bug. The new vulnerability, which hasn't yet been assigned a CVE, was discovered during a proactive investigation conducted in coordination with cybersecurity firm Huntress. Progress advises users to update their software and explicitly urges users to only update their products through Progress's blog. The older MoveIt vulnerability continues to be exploited in instances whose users haven't yet applied the available fixes. On Friday, June 9th, the Minnesota Department of Education, the MDE, reported that one of its servers was compromised through exploitation of the earlier MoveIt vulnerability, CVE-2023-34362, which the MDE had not yet patched. MDE explained that 24 files had been accessed, which compromised approximately 95,000 names of students placed in foster care throughout the state, as well as students qualifying for the Pandemic Electronic Benefits Transfer and students in particular college classes and bus routes. No financial information was exposed. MDE recommends that affected individuals should monitor their credit reports and take steps to protect their identity. The 74 reported that ransomware gang Medusa has claimed responsibility for the breach and is demanding $1 million in ransom. The outlet says that A preliminary review of the gang's dark web leak site by the 74 suggests the compromised files include a significant volume of sensitive documents, including information related to student sexual violence allegations, finances, and student discipline, among others. And over in the UK, the regulatory body Ofcom this morning disclosed that it too had been affected by exploitation of this vulnerability. Ofcom said... A limited amount of information about certain employees we regulate, some of it confidential, along with personal data of 412 Ofcom employees, was downloaded during the attack. Investigation and remediation are in progress. If you're a MoveIt user, do consult Progress Software's blog. The Cyber Anarchy Squad, which represents itself as a hacktivist organization, dedicated to supporting Ukraine and defending itself against Russia, claimed to have successfully hit the Russian telecommunications provider Infotel JSC last Thursday evening. Infotel JSC confirmed that its systems had indeed come under attack, bleeping computer reports, saying that restoration work is currently underway. Additional deadlines for completing the work will be announced. We hope for your understanding and further cooperation. For its part, the Cyber Anarchy Squad crowed about their destruction of Infotel JSC's infrastructure, the record reports. Infotel JSC has a number of clients in the financial sector, including Russia's central bank. Connectivity between the central bank and other financial service and e-commerce businesses depends to a significant extent on the telco's infrastructure, and the Cyber Anarchy Squad claims that its attack has rendered it difficult and in some cases impossible for banks to conduct routine transactions. The attack coincided with the opening of Ukraine's counteroffensive and, according to Security Affairs, included website defacements celebrating Ukraine's attack. 
There are no obvious indications, however, that the cyber attack was a closely coordinated combat support operation. It seems rather to have been malevolent exuberance directed towards Russia. BlackBerry researchers find that the operators of the RomCom remote access Trojan have recently stepped up their activity against Ukrainian politicians, among other targets. The particular politicians targeted are working closely with Western governments and at least one U.S. organization involved in delivering relief to Ukrainian refugees with a goal of information collection. BlackBerry writes that the threat actor behind the RomCom rat appears to be actively interested in what Western countries are doing to support Ukraine, what Ukraine is doing, and who the refugees are receiving help from in the United States. And finally, two Russian nationals were charged with the 2014 hack of the Mt. Gox cryptocurrency exchange, described by Coinbase as one of the biggest cryptocurrency heists in crypto history. An indictment from 2019 was unsealed last Friday, detailing how the two hackers stole upwards of 647,000 bitcoins from the exchange between 2011 and 2017. Once the funds were lifted, they were then laundered. Both alleged conspirators are being charged with conspiracy to commit money laundering, while one of them also faces a charge for operating an unlicensed money services business. And here in America, they're regarded as innocent until proven guilty. So they got that going for them. Coming up after the break, Deepin Desai of Zscaler describes Nevada ransomware. Our guest is Clark Rogers from Amazon Web Services with insights on what CISOs say to each other when no one else is listening. Stay with us. In the complex world of enterprise identity, securing legacy web apps at scale can be daunting. Strata Identity makes it simple. With Strata, you can effortlessly integrate non-standard apps with any identity service, like MFA or SSO, with zero coding and zero hassle. Designed by identity architects for identity architects, Strata works with every vendor, standard and app architecture. This means your apps can now speak modern protocols and integrate seamlessly with your chosen identity services. From securing on-prem web apps to migrating away from outdated identity providers or consolidating them, Strata helps you keep your complex access policies as you modernize your identity infrastructure and get rid of technical debt. Join leading organizations like 3M, Dallas County, and CIBC in securing your apps with Strata. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity security priorities, and receive a complimentary pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. AWS Reinforce Conference is taking place this week in Anaheim, California, and the CyberWire is happy to be a media partner for the event. In anticipation of the conference, I spoke with Clark Rogers, 
enterprise security strategist at Amazon Web Services, about a series of special events they host for CISOs, a gathering they call CISO Circles. The CISO role has evolved over the years. Um, you know, my background, I'm a former CISO myself in the insurance and financial services industries and have been at AWS now for about six and a half years and have had the opportunity to meet with over 750 customers, a large percentage of those being CISOs. And as I've seen the CISO role evolve over the years, you know, it, it used to be the, the sort of firefighter security professional, right? So something bad happens, here's the security person who's going to go take care of it, right? There wasn't a lot of strategy behind it. There wasn't much programmatic thought around the security and compliance role at an organization. It's just we needed that function. And over the years, I'm very happy to say, that the CISO role has transitioned into a business leader, right? Where security is viewed not as a have-to-have, but a must-have as far as enabling the business to go faster, take more risks, really leaning into security as a strategic advantage. So as that role has evolved, you know, the, the education around you know, security tooling and best practices and, you know, the top 10 lists of what you should and should not do as a security professional, those are all still important. But more often than not, those are taken care of by security engineering teams or uh, security operations center, whatever the case may be in the particular organization. And then the CISO, uh, that role is really doing a few things. The, the CISO is translating the business needs to the security and uh, development community, you know, here's the outcomes that we need to have. The CISO is reporting up, right? So reporting to the board and saying, well, here's the risks that face the business. Here's the mitigants that I have in place. Here's the mitigants that we need to put in place, right? To actually keep pace with what uh, the business is trying to do. And then it's navigating and really much more of a business leader in the sense of the social cohesion around building that strong security culture uh, throughout the organization. And that, that's where we see CISO, CISOs really focusing on these days, in addition to their tradi- traditional sort of protection duties. Now, you and your colleagues at AWS have uh, taken a role in uh, hosting some events for CISOs to try to facilitate some of these conversations. Can you describe that for us? Certainly. Um, the program itself is called the CISO Circles or the AWS CISO Circles. And uh, we started them around November of 2020. You know, that was prime (laughs) pandemic time. Mm. So uh, we wanted to make sure that we were developing a a curriculum and a reason and building the community for CISOs to sort of get together and quote unquote talk shop, right? So not so much the bits and the bites, but more of what I was talking earlier, right? How do I get How do I build a strong security culture within my organization? How do I make sure executives care about it? What are some best practices on X, Y, and Z? Uh, So we developed these and, you know, it's a a global program today, uh, broken down by region. And we'll typically have anywhere between 10 and 25 customer CISOs under NDA and Chatham House Rule to speak freely about their security programs and to engage with one another uh, around what works, what doesn't, what some of the problems are that, that are facing them these days, and you know, ideally some solutions. And we're really there to facilitate the conversation. It's a uh, what I'll call a sort of no-sell zone, right? So uh, even though it's an AWS event, 
We don't uh, have third parties sponsor it, so you don't have to listen to a spiel about uh, the latest security tool from Vendor X. Mm. We don't typically talk about AWS services unless it aligns with a topic that uh, the CISOs actually want to talk about. So if it's a, you know, if they want to discuss, you know, what are some best practices in logging, for example, we'll make sure that we have an expert to facilitate a discussion around that, you know, from an AWS perspective. Those types of topics tend to come up more often than not. You know, you're, you're deliberate about making this a, a safe space for them to have these types of conversations. I'm curious what sort of things come up when it comes to the, the challenges of the job itself. As I mentioned earlier, these are all under NDA and they're also under Chatham House rule, which basically says you can learn from each other. You just can't attribute what someone said uh, during, during the session, right? So with those rules in place, the CISOs feel very comfortable to say, you know, I tried either product or process X, it didn't work, right? Or I'm having struggles or I'm struggling with the trying to get developers on board to care about security. Does anybody have any tips on how to do this? There's no way without that sort of safe space would any CISO go in public and say something like that. This is their peer group. We purposely mix these up by industry, right? So it's not, uh, you're not going to have a room of financial services professionals together. You'll have a mix of maybe financial services, media and entertainment, retail, technology. They'll all be in the, in the room together. And despite their industry differences, we find that they all typically have the same challenges and opportunities within their organization, right? So it's around uh, security education, it's staffing, where am I going to find that next, uh, or where am I going to train that next great security professional for my team? What are, what are some of you all doing to make sure that you're growing your security teams and growing the security influence throughout the organization? How are you aligning security outcomes with business outcomes? How do you budget? Again, what are some best tips for reporting to the board? One example from a, from a CISO circle we had uh, last year that sort of sticks with me is one of the CISOs recommended that, uh, you know, he looked up uh, who was part of his board and then found out what other boards they were on. He then reached out to uh, the CISO at that other company, which actually happened to be a competitor. Uh, and they had a, a long discussion around how to best present security information to that particular board member. And, you know, when you have when you have someone say something like that, you sort of look around the room uh, and you see these other CISOs, you know, writing down feverishly that, hey, you know, that's a great idea. That's not something I've thought about before. So it's really great to really be able to facilitate uh, these discussions. And we just sort of really stand back and just sort of make sure, you know, that the venue is there. We'll emcee it and make sure that the, the topics that are covered are covered to the degree that the uh, CISOs want. And then we also do follow-ups with them to say, what else would you, what are you interested in? What's top of mind? And you know, what can we bring to the next CISOs room? That's Clark Rogers from Amazon Web Services. The AWS Reinforce Conference is taking place this week in Anaheim, California.
And joining me once again is Deepin Desai. He is the global CISO and head of security research and operations at Zscaler. Uh, Deepin, it is always a pleasure to welcome you back to the show. I want to talk to you today about Nevada ransomware. I know this is something you and your colleagues there at Zscaler have had an eye on. What do we need to know about this? Yeah, thank you, Dave. So Zscaler Threat Labs tracks various ransomware families, and the goal over uh, there is to make sure we add detection intelligence into our our, our platform, protect our customers, and then also help uh, the community uh, where we we collaborate with certs, ISACs, agencies, uh, in order to make sure we do our part in fighting against these ransomware groups. So as part of that tracking operation, we came across uh, a new variant of Nokoyawa <laughs> ransomware family. And mm. uh, this is not the first variant. We have seen uh, a couple others in the past, so one called Karma and then uh, another called Nemti ransomware. These are all variants of Nokoyawa. Um, the original version of Nokoyawa ransomware was uh, introduced uh, just uh, almost a year back. Yeah, it was in Feb 2022, and it mm-hmm. was written in uh, C programming language. Um, they were using file encryption ciphers like uh, elliptical curve cryptography with curve uh, sect 233R1, um, right? And then um, the, the, the most recent variant that I'm about to talk about is Nevada ransomware, which mm-hmm. was observed in December of 2022. And a unique part over here is it was uh, advertised in criminal forums as part of a new ransomware as a service affiliate program. Hmm. And what sets it apart from any of the previous versions here? So this specific uh, variant is uh, written in Rust programming language with support for Linux and also 64-bit versions of Windows. It does have significant code similarities, though, um, uh, with uh, Nokoyawa ransomware, including things like debug strings, command line arguments, even the encryption algorithm uh, is similar, but it's written in entirely new language. Uh, and then, uh, as I mentioned, this is also being offered as ransomware as a service affiliate program, which means all the grunt work is already done, right? And you could just subscribe to it and then you have payload and infrastructure ready to target your victim. The group uh, behind this though, the, the Noko Yawa ransomware group, what, what we're seeing is there are almost two parallel code branches uh, and each of them written in different programming languages. Uh, potentially to confuse researchers, evade detection. And then also maybe they are taking a look at which one is turning out to be more successful in some of these campaigns and uh, attacks that they're launching uh, in the Mm -hmm. wild. What are you tracking in terms of proliferation here? How how popular is this? This one is not uh, very prevalent. I mean, there are many other ransomware groups out there like CLOP, Black Pasta, I mean, those are uh, much more prevalent than this one, but this is yet another group uh, which we we saw come to the scene in December, uh, has some unique things that we talk about, and and, uh, yeah, it's something to keep an eye out for, uh, for future developments as well. And in terms of uh, preventing yourself from falling victim to this, I I suppose the 
the usual uh, the usual rules apply here? Yes, the usual rules apply. You have to be cautious uh, about clicking on those links that arrive. Uh, um, you know, things like office document. Uh, more recently, we're seeing a lot of OneNote documents being leveraged by Quackbots, Emotet groups. Right? That's the stage one of many of the ransomware attacks that you see out there. And they start with Quackbot. They will then have post-exploitation tools downloaded, which will then lead to these ransomware families uh, being being planted on the victim organization. Another concerning trend we're seeing in the ransomware threat landscape is many of these groups, and when I say many, we know at least four to five of them, where they're not encrypting the files on the victim's machine. What they're doing is they will exfiltrate tons and tons of data. And I'm talking about terabytes of data in, in many of the victims that we were tracking. And uh, they will literally work with the victim that, hey, we don't want you guys to be in the public news and we don't our group to be in the public news either. It's it's a bad situation for both of us. So pay the ransom. We have all the data. We didn't bring down your infrastructure so that you don't get any kind of negative press, any kind of attention. So they're all trying to stay under the radar. Uh, hmm. And and that's that's definitely concerning because now you will not know how many actually attacks are also happening out there, and so this this basically makes that whole notion of uh, making sure you have consistent security policy, the zero trust architecture implementation, making sure anything that leaves your environment goes through an inline DLP solution with SL inspection. Very, very important because uh, once they have your data, they're going to demand ransom. All right. Well, word to the wise. Devin Desai, thank you for joining us. With over 8,000 threat hunters analyzing over 65 trillion signals daily, Microsoft works tirelessly with the federal government to keep our nation's data secure. This 30-plus year partnership is driving mission innovation that is secure by design. Whether optimizing your existing defenses or tackling advanced threats with AI, Microsoft gives you the intelligence and the automation you need to defend at mission scale. Let's work together to stay ahead of emerging threats and secure your mission anywhere. Learn more at aka.ms slash fedcyber. That's aka.ms slash fedcyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. Don't forget to check out the Grumpy Old Geeks podcast. I join Jason and Brian on their show for a lively discussion of the latest security news every week. You can find Grumpy Old Geeks where all the fine podcasts are listed. We'd love to know what you think of this podcast. You can email us at cyberwire at n2k.com. Your feedback helps us ensure we're delivering the information and insights that help keep you a step ahead in the rapidly changing world of cybersecurity. We're privileged that N2K and podcasts like The Cyberwire are part of the daily intelligence routine of many of the most influential leaders and operators in the public and private sector. 
as well as the critical security teams supporting the Fortune 500 and many of the world's preeminent intelligence and law enforcement agencies. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. This episode was produced by Liz Irvin and senior producer Jennifer Iben. Our mixer is Trey Hester with original music by Elliot Peltzman. The show was written by Rachel Gelfin. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. Cyber.